You have one new message. Main menu. To listen to your messages, press 1. First, new message. Hi, it's producer Ken. Um, I've listened to your first show, and if you're going to say f and c, uh, you're going to need a disclaimer at the start. Sh and b would probably be alright normally, but the way you two go on drinking, there's just f all over the place. Uh, people need to be warned. Um, and who even says talk anymore? Anyway, call us back and let us know what you want to do about recording something for the opening. Your pair of This week on the Peggy Mount Podcast. Yes, yes, I agree with that completely, especially when that bloody horse uh, comes into the series. Yeah, uh, Dobby. Yeah, exactly this. A literal it. pantomime horse. <laughs> uh, yeah, a literal pantomime horse, which I happily would have taken to the glue factory. It, it was it was awful. It was awful, the thing. If I thought for a minute that you would ever be that simpering. <laughs> Just constantly following me around going, would you like a cup of tea? <laughs> Can you imagine? I'll have a gin. Producer Ken's just thrown his headphones into the corner. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Ken. Are you all right? Hello and welcome to the new series of The Peggy Mount Calamity Hour. I'm Dr Velvet. And I'm Blackout. And we're here to talk about the telly. Yes, hello you. Thanks for joining us for our casual cultural critique of vintage television, where Britain's best-loved battle axe is never far from our minds, because here, all roads lead to the mountain. If you head over to PeggyMountPod.com, info for the episodes we're going to be discussing is in the show notes. You can get in touch there to say hello or suggest programmes you'd like us to cover. Uh, before we get the engines fully running, Dr Velvet, I've got to ask, what are you drinking? I've decided on a little bit of retro drinking. So I've got cans of Red Stripe. There you <laughs> ah, go. Fantastic. I, have, I, I fantastic just thought, I just, work. that little, uh, Red Stripe always reminds me of the 80s. Yes. And I think that's because that was the first time I ever saw it. You can still get yeah. it. Um, what about your good self? Uh, I have a Marston's Old Empire. Oh, yes. I do like an Old Empire. Very good, very good. So uh, what we have we got coming up today? Well, today, two wonderful programmes, honest. Um, the first of which, I don't know, should we just crack straight on with it? Uh, before, actually, before we do that, I've got a letter, if I should... Uh, oh. Can, can we yeah. go to that now? Go to the post back? Of course we can. Of course we can. Hang on, hang on, two seconds. Ken? Producer Ken, can we go to the can we go to letters now? He's nodding through the glass. We can. Smashing. Right. Dear Presenter 1 and Presenter 2, in the last series... Your discussion of the Ronnie Barker sitcom, Clarence, pointed out that it had been adapted from his 1971 showcase, Six Dates with Barker. What you somehow failed to mention, however, was that in the pilot version, Clarence was played by Ronnie Barker, played by Richard Roundtree, uh, and it was set in a whore-ridden New York police precinct rather than the removals firm in the Cotswolds. The 12 instances of the word motherfucker, however, not only match in quantity between the versions, but also their respective time codes where the shows are played side by side. Was this homage noted by yourselves? You must be joking, Charlie. Please get these things right. Future generations of nostalgists look up to you for some reason. Sincerely, it's from Ronnie Cobain of the Josephine Chusen Melon Meltdown podcast. 
Well, thanks for that, Roddy. We'll um, take that on board. What have we got first up? Well, let's crack on with the first specimen that's going under the microscope. The first bars of the theme tune should send shivers down your spine. If your mansion house needs haunting, just call Rent-A-Ghost. We've got spooks and ghouls and freaks and fools at Rent-A-Ghost. Hear the phantom of the opera sing a haunting melody. Remember what you see is not a mystery, but Rent-A-Ghost. At your party, be a smarty. Yes, it's Rent-A-Ghost, of course. Uh, we've been watching the very first episode on the 6th of January 1976, BBC One. This ran for nine series until 1984, created and written by Bob Block, uh, the writer who'd worked with Ken Dodd and Dave Allen previously, also went on to do the Clive Dunn sitcom Grandad. This early first series stars Anthony Jackson as Fred Mumford. He's a 20th century founder of the rent ghost business. Michael Derbyshire appears as Hubert Davenport, a Victorian spirit unable to pass to the afterlife. And of course, Michael Staniforth as Timothy Claypool, who's the, the ghost of a medieval jester who'd go on to become a central figure in the series. You know what? Let me tell you something about Rent-A-Ghost. My mum didn't let me watch it. <laughs> Go on. <laughs> she she told me that programme was an insult to my intelligence at six years old. <laughs> yeah. The only time I ever got to watch Rent-A-Ghost would be on school sort of summer holidays right. or uh, Easter holidays, that sort of thing. And yep. if I was if I was around my friend's house having having tea or whatever and it it was on there that's the only time i ever saw it there you go right if we go back to the start this opening episode sees fred actually setting up rent a ghost now you see he's only been dead for six months so he's still getting used to the mechanics of haunting he's placed an advert in the ghost gazette um and he spends this episode basically trying to borrow money from his parents to pay the advance rent on his newly acquired premises problem is the landlord doesn't know that his new tenants are dead and neither do fred's parents now don't you think it's a bit odd in a kid's sitcom, the central figure is effectively haunting his own parents, pretending he's still alive. Completely. It's a very macabre <laughs> concept. It is, and it's sort of... It's too bad that it didn't really keep that up. It kind of... It's very plot-based. Obviously, for a first episode, it's got a lot to do. Um, it weaves in the story structure... Nicely, I thought, alongside the jokes, but there are flags even at this early stage of the pantomime it would become. Yeah, it's it's well, it, this this episode in particular, it's just farce, and it works. Oh yeah, um, the comedy of manners stuff really holds up. The slapstick, mm-hmm. even for a kids thing, I'm like, uh, it's yeah. I sort of, I struggled with, I struggled with about half of it, but I know that if we'd watched a later episode, I would have struggled with it far more. Yes, yes, I agree with that completely, especially when that bloody horse uh, comes into the series. Yeah, uh, Dobby. Yeah, exactly. It. It is. A hated literal it. pantomime horse. <laughs> uh, yeah, a literal pantomime horse, which I happily would have taken to the glue factory. It, it was, it was awful. <laughs> it was awful. The thing. One, of the, I will say about this. We obviously we're on series one, episode one. Yeah, it's a, cr- it's a cracking start. The exposition. We're straight in. We know, we know that Fred Mumford's a ghost within thirty seconds. Yeah, and. Yep. And we know that he's not a good ghost either. He's still learning. Yeah. Um, 
We're into the premises. We get the theme tune. Um, and I love, I absolutely loved the office sort of shop aesthetic. It was it was wonderfully abandoned and very old. Yes. Um, it, it just worked so well. What were your thoughts on what is the exact nature of the Rent-A-Ghost business model? The, the way I picked it up was uh, that they hire out ghosts to do jobs that humans can't do. Right. What would that be? Isn't this working on the premise that everyone just accepts the existence of ghosts? <laughs> yeah. You'd, you'd need to like believe in ghosts in order to actually go into the shop and say, "Oh yeah, I'd like to. I'd like to hire a ghost, please." For I, I don't. I don't even know what the examples are. They haven't given any here. Um, wouldn't there? Wouldn't wouldn't it be more like there'd be like a million questions about which religion turns out to be right, rather than yeah. someone just going, "I should definitely hire a ghost for Saturday." Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, probably. Um, we eventually see Harold Meeker coming in, the landlord of the Rent-A-Ghost office. Harold Meeker walks in. I know him from only one other thing, and that's a guest appearance oh, in Retur- Return of the Saints. Um, ah, okay. Yeah, he was in I that. Was, which it- I was thinking for this entire thing, he feels like he should be a much more nasty character from somewhere like On the Buses, where he could really get his teeth into the role. He's clearly meant to be a bit, sort of, bit of a badass. That's why he's got, like, the sheepskin coat and the little trilby on. Um... But he never really gets above sort of being like the punchline to a lot of slapstick. Not only that, when we meet his wife in later episodes, good yeah. God. <laughs> Ethel Mika, my <laughs> God, what a force of nature she is. Oh, dear. Yeah, but thankfully she isn't in this one. Um, one thing that did bother me then about this episode, so yeah, go on. Fred needs to get this money off his, um, off his parents, borrow this yeah. money off his parents. So they take. He insists that they take the train. So him and Hubert and uh, Timothy. Yeah. There's this wonderfully comic moment in the station, um, where they where they they're going to take the train for the first time and get I on. I believe, and, and I may be I may be wrong here. I'm sure hmm. someone will pick me up on it if I am. Right. I believe that's Waterloo. Right. Okay. Uh, not only is it Waterloo, it hasn't really changed that much. I mean, to the point where I can look at it and go, Yeah, I think that's Waterloo. Not like because I have a history of going there when I was little. Just that I know how it looks now. Sure. <laughs> so, well, yeah, that speaks volumes. Um, but yeah, the um, there's a decent amount what, of mime in this, isn't there? Well, there is, but we then learn that the, the, one of the trademarks of uh, Rent a Ghost, the trademark gimmick, was that they could just disappear and reappear in a, a location that they need to. Why didn't the three of them just do that rather than take the train? What was all that about? That's a complete waste of ten minutes. It's a see, filler, is what that is. You see, I was wondering about this about this. The mechanics of being a ghost, it's, for all that the story's set up, the actual mechanics of haunting aren't really. But, however, Hubert Davenport, let me tell you, wearing that outfit, I believe there's nothing that that man can't do. What a splendid costume that is. I was getting very much a C-3PO vibe of him. If you just add a a little bit of sort of metallic twang to his voice, his mannerisms are almost identical. In yeah. the same way that Fred Mumford really comes over as Arthur Dent from Hitchhikers. Yes, he does. And Claypool is just... You know, I do like him. I can see why he started to grate on me in later episodes. Who, Claypool? Yeah. Yes, a little bit. He's, he's, he plays the, the cheeky... Well, the cheeky jester, the cheeky little imp. He plays it very well. Yeah, there's more of a sort of air of innocence of him in this yes, first episode, is. which I, I think works better for the character rather than just being annoying jester. So so far, we've skipped the um, the first, the foremost, the most important topic. Mm. 
give me your thoughts on that signature tune. I love it, but I've got some notes here. Okay, uh, I just think it's a thing of beauty. I uh -huh. always have done. Uh -huh. I think it's I think it's absolutely wonderful. Um, harpsichord at the beginning, straight in, and it's it's Michael's voice. Uh, yep. Mike, Tim Timothy Claypool sings it, and uh, he sings it in a way. His vocal is again playful. And it's yeah. it's kind of it's beckoning you to go come and see the ghosts. Not in it a is. not in a it really is. sinister way, but it's it it does that. It brings you in, um, but at the same time, it skips along. Um, mm -hmm. It's I just think it's a work of art, quite frankly. It's yeah, it's like deceptively intricate on a musical level. This sort of playfully baroque ditty, very worthy, I thought, of sitting on a shelf next to the Rocky Horror Show. I do have a few thoughts on the lyrics, though. Can I um, can I break it down line by line? Go for it. Right. If your mansion house needs haunting, just call Rent a Ghost. Now, I uh, yeah, I'm I'm fine with that. I I love it. This sets up the premise of the business. It sets up their name. It sets up the title of the show. Uh -huh. I don't think you need to say mansion house, but I appreciate that you're getting the extra syllable in there to make it flow with the beat. A great sure. shot. I'm absolutely yep. loving that. Right. Mm -hmm. Next up, we've got spooks and ghouls and freaks and fools at Rent a Ghost. Now it's mm -hmm. still working well, but it uses Rent-A-Ghost to rhyme with Rent-A-Ghost. Even within mm -hmm. the aesthetic of a radio advert jingle, where the company name is Paramount, right, using a different word as the rhyme would be more likely to sort of sear the song into the listener's memory. Mm -hmm. I think mm -hmm. they've fallen down. Okay, anyway, yeah. Next up. Hear the Phantom of the Opera sing a haunting melody. Now, I'm not sure what this line's doing here, right? While it fits, it definitely fits the tone of the song, the Phantom mm -hmm. of the Opera wasn't a literal ghost. It was just a deformed builder with a pawn shop for the theatrical it's solid i can see why it's there but it's like think think on it this is first draft stuff you could have done something better then yeah remember what you see is not a mystery but rent a ghost now firstly he's rhymed rent a ghost with rent a ghost and rent a ghost i'm taking <laughs> yes. another point off for that <laughs> um, in the in the first and the last lines that's fine but it's that one in the second which really throws the whole lot in the bin next up what you see is not a mystery, is a fantastic little flourish. I love that. Oh, but yeah. rhyming the two E sounds in such close succession immediately after melody just makes the whole thing feel awkward. And what's more, that is entirely deliberate because the other verses in the uh, closing credits, they do exactly the same thing as well, where you've got knock, shock, and knock. And then in the next one, you've got script, quipped, and crypt. If you want to put a triplet of rhymes into one line of a song, that's lovely. If you want to stagger it over three lines, that's fine. Doing it over two lines like this, I'm like, what are you... M Michael, Michael, you've made a fantastic song here, mate. Can you work on Can you work on the lyrics a bit more? Because apart from that, it's been locked in my head for about a week now. I love it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, 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 what a hook it's got. Yeah. Um, I think it was available as a single. I'm sure it was. Pretty certain it was, yeah. Um, final point is just at the end, when the credits are rolling, there's a lovely shot of uh, the luggage... And um, walking away, and the shadowing on that, it really worked, I thought. Yeah, not, <laughs> it's not to the point where even I'm watching that shot, as clunky as the rest of it's been, thinking, how have they done that, though? Yeah, absolutely. Um, okay, I mean, if only because, like, if you've got... If you've got the guys wearing sort of like a blue bodysuit, and then you've, like, taken them out in post, you'd still have to record that shot twice with exactly the same camera movement, and I don't think Sorry. they were up at that level, quite frankly. No, no, no I agree. It was a cracking, cracking job they did yeah, there. Yeah, it's a shame that the rest of it wasn't quite up to that level, but, you know, it's, know. The, first, it's the first episode. It's it's fine. 
It was it, it, superb. Um, yeah. No, great, great. Rent a ghost, series one, episode one. So, question: How many pegs will you put on the line? I will give this six out of nine. It's very, very <sighs> solid, but there are some mm-hmm. teething troubles that I would like to see. I know it's going to get better before it gets worse. Uh huh. And I think, if anything, I was picking the first one might have damned this a little. No pun intended. How about yourself? I would have given it six, but just for the fact that in future episodes, the character of Ethel Mika was created, uh-huh. five out of nine. <laughs> you're not rating future episodes, you're rating this one. I know, <laughs> but, <okay. clears throat> I know, but the, this program was responsible for the creation of that character, so sorry. Okay, fair enough, fair five, enough. Five, yeah, five out of nine. Rightio. Oh. And yeah. um, how many steps would it take you to yodel up the mountain? I can do it in three. So, Rent-A-Ghost starred Michael Staniforth, of course, and he also appeared in 1975's Great Big Crazy Horse, along with Patricia Hodge, who was in 1996's The Legacy of Reginald Perrin, alongside Sue Nichols, who starred in Inspector Hardcastle Investigates, a 1972 episode of the comedy series Lollipop, starring... Peggy Mount. I said it's still raining. Excellent work. Um, yeah, I, 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 I agree. I agree. Me, I can do it in two. A two? Yeah, two. Uh, Rent a Ghost featured Anthony Jackson. Uh, he starred in Bless This House along with Sid James, who was, of course, a mainstay of the sitcom George and the Dragon along with Peggy Mount. Festival. Absolutely. Well done. Well done. Well done. Oh, wonderful. I like that. I think it's time for a break. We'll be right back after this. Flash! Flash! News about Flash! Flash is here in the giant size pack. Big, big, giant size pack. In the shops now and it's fourpence off. Buy giant size flash while it's fourpence off. There we are, we're back. Buy the things. That'll be nice. Next programme. Next on the list, Blackout, what we got? Let's just go straight into the theme tune. It speaks for itself. Yes, we stop off once more with Dame Peggy herself, the very reason we're gathered around the wireless this day. This is the very first episode of You're Only Young Twice, a sitcom originally aired, this one, on the 6th of September 1977 on ITV. This ran for four series and two Christmas specials, that's 31 episodes in total. Written by Pam Valentine and Michael Ashton, it stars Peggy Mount and Pat Coombs as Flora Petty and Sissy Lupin. Uh, They are a couple of residents of Paradise Lodge, which is a residential home for retired gentlefolk. In this first episode, when a room in the lodge is vacated, uh, as Mrs Willis is taken to hospital, the regulars all start eyeing up the prime real estate, but when a man moves in, the dynamic changes among the group. Doesn't it just... Doesn't it just... So what did you make of this? Well... You know what you're in for as soon as the theme tune kicks in, which we've just heard a little snatch of there. A lumbering, quirky, look at me, I'm silly theme yeah. tune. Uh-huh. 
which I don't mind. It's doddery, um, so it's it's a reflection of, of what we're about to experience. This is the theme tune was written by Dennis Wilson, um, who also did Steptoe and Son, which is why you get the sort of clippy clop. It's very absolutely. sort of similar at the very start. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, he did Till Death Do Us Part as well, so he's got the sitcom business down. Very, very established composer in television. Indeed. But there's also this aspect of not only the signature tune, but the, the transitional stings are quite uh-huh. heavy on the chromatic harmonica. Uh, so it's probably no coincidence that this sitcom began four years after Last of the Summer Wine on BBC One. There's a definite air of a meeting in Yorkshire television kicking off with the words, here, can we do a sitcom that's about old people without looking like we're ripping that off? Ah. And so someone else has gone, well, how about Last of the Summer Wine, except it's old ladies and they don't go out? Aye, aye, that'll be champion. That get get the fella off a step tour to do to do the mouth organ. We'll we'll do that next week. And I think that's how this started. My <laughs> first impressions of it were were, were great. Um, I will say first of all that as a kid, when I first saw this program, Peggy Mount terrified me. I yes. was terrified of anybody with a loud voice, especially women, especially okay. stout women. Yeah, and I had a couple yeah. of teachers who were like that and they were nails man you didn't uh-huh. you didn't backchat them and i used to liken them to peggy mount so when that woman came on the screen when i was a kid i was like i can't get away from this um and she shouts she doesn't talk at any point in, oh, yeah, in no, any she will, episode she will stomp into a room and she will bellow it's not so much that that used to freak me out it's that grimace she does it's when she bears her teeth yeah. there's an yeah, almost sort of um it's almost like that thing that the apes do. We're like they're really yeah. not happy. <laughs> just be that's like, right. It's like this um, this sort of evolutionary thing where she bears her teeth, and I just like go back and go. That's all right, Peggy. I know my place. Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely terrifying woman. And um, yeah, but I mean, I, enough to be said about that because the thing is, I remember in later life when she was on little shows and whatever, she was kind of getting weary of the whole "I'm a battle axe" thing. And she did in yeah. reality. She speaks ever so softly in in reality, but yeah. um, it's a testament to the actress that she is. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing I did notice when we first joined this episode: um, look at Peggy Mount's new hat. Oh no, sorry, <laughs> it's a hair. <laughs> What the hell's going on? Are you dissing the wardrobe and makeup department of Yorkshire Television? <laughs> you mean there was one? <laughs> well, they got a dress from the same box as the curtains, sir. Didn't they? <laughs> Good God. The hair, the fringe on it. I do think for something, uh, again, produced by like a regional TV station, this was not bad. You know, it's all set indoors. It's very clearly. All in a soundstage. Mm-hmm. There's no like having to go outside and switch to videotape. It's mm-hmm. all done in house. Um, mm-hmm. In terms of production values, I think it's fine. Again, given what they were working with in '77, ah, that's not a problem. For what it was, yeah, you, you don't. You're not needing um, dimension jumps and this sort of thing. Not that we know <laughs> of. Um, so it was fine for what it was. And and as a as a subject matter, I could relate to this, believe it or not, because my my grandma was in sheltered accommodation. Okay. And she they didn't. So she had her own sort of um, apartment kind of thing. Yeah. But they had a, a lounge where they would go and sort of congregate and uh-huh, socialize uh-huh. and it was full of women like the the characters in you're only young twice yes it was it was tremendous particularly I, I, my ears and i sort of pricked open because 
There's this one of the characters as a grand septuagenarian wearing ruffle, a ruffled blouse, uh-huh. using a cigarette holder, and yes. drinking sherry from dawn till dusk. And yes. I thought, well, <laughs> not only do I know someone like that, that will be me in twenty years. <laughs> uh, yeah, fair enough. Now I'm I'm all for collaboration when writing. I think it's it's how I sort of prefer to do things anyway. Um, I definitely see the value in having another person in the room. But this, to me, definitely felt like a script which had gone backwards and forwards, having jokes inserted to bulk out the running time rather than anything flowing organically. Um, I think it works best in the scenes when it's just a two-hander between Peggy Mount and Pat Coombs. Because, you know, like they were best mates off-screen anyway, so they, they work together much more sort of organically. They do. Interestingly, Which, you know, you're right in what you say. They were best mates outside of the, the show. N- not only that, um, life imitating art, um, the pair of them did move into a retirement home together. Uh, oh, was that um, Denville Hall? Uh, yeah, I think so. Right. Uh, but yeah, that, that, which was quite bizarre. And since you've mentioned Pat Coombs, really. Yeah, go on. Yeah, go on. I've, yeah. Really, okay. is there anybody, has there uh-huh. ever been anybody on this planet as simple and as simpering as the character <laughs> of Sissy? What I, the hell is that? I have exactly the same word in my in my notes here where it says, Coombs actually reminds me of George from Rainbow in this simpering and more than a bit sinister. <laughs> yeah. Do you know what? You are right. That I've, is, forgotten, that is... I've forgotten what a posh accent she has in this. While we're on the subject, mm. it's a retirement home. And Flora says that Sissy's been in there for seven years. Now, Pat Coombs was only 50 when this was aired. Where was her paper round? Ben Nevis. <laughs> My God. She was 50? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, she looks the part. I know people age differently in different sort of eras and that. She does look um, the part. She actually looks like my great aunt. Not to stay on like the... I know it's a very sort of rude way of going on, but uh, Peggy Mount was 61 at the time. There was an age gap between them. But obviously, you know, age is nothing. They still got on kind of thing. Indeed. Um, but yeah, she she was only fifty in this. Good God! I was thinking actually, just particularly with regards to the two of them, um, I'd like to see Bottom, the Rick Mail Ed Edmondson sitcom recast uh-huh. with Mount and Coombs, but still with the scripts from Bottom, just with them two Brilliant. playing it. Brilliant! Brilliant! For obvious reasons, I don't think we'll get that now, but you can wish, can't you? <laughs> uh, so overall, what were your thoughts on this? On this? On this actual episode? Uh, well, I I didn't mind it. For it to be the, the series one, episode one, mm. we're straight in. There's no messing about. There's no need for exposition. Fly on the wall yeah. of, of some women in a retirement home. What what else do you need to know? Do we need to know why they're there? Do we? No, we don't. We just want to hear about the exploits of stuff that goes on in there. It's a self-contained sort of situation. There's no escape. Um, so it's all going to happen within there. I like that. I like that self-containment anyway. That, that always appeals to me. I hate it when we've got l- landscapes of places right. to go. I hate that. Um, uh, questions I'll, that uh, pop up. I'll maybe. remind you of that when we get to, to the manor born, but yeah, carry on. <laughs> yeah, okay. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> One thing that did strike me, I would never, I would hate to be in a retirement home with someone like Flora because... Uh, this is this is Peggy Mount's character, Flora. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um, she's she's conniving. The woman is so devious. Well, as I think we all know, in that situation, you would be Flora, so you don't have to worry about that. <laughs> yeah, all right. <laughs> it's all right. I'm your best mate. I'll be Pat Coombs. I'll be sissy. <laughs> if I thought for a minute that you would ever be that simpering, <laughs> just constantly following me around, going, "Would you like a cup of tea?" <laughs> 
Can you imagine? <laughs> I'll have a gin. God, yeah, you've you've just seen into the future now. Um, yeah, I think so. But overall, nice episode. I did think the scene uh, where Sissy and Flora are outside the the room that uh, Flora is aspiring to to get. Yes, that went on. That was milked. Good I, God! I enjoyed that though, because again, that's when it's just the two of them, and they're both sort of sparking off each other. I can well, imagine the script for this was absolutely minimal. The script was like a page. And they yeah. just went on for five, and obviously the director's too terrified to tell them to cut, because <laughs> these two are the only uh-huh. reason the show's getting made in the first place. Um, yeah, yeah, no, yeah. I was fine with that. So how many pegs would you put on the line for this one? I would put... I'm going to put... I'm going to think objectively here, and I'm going to put up five. It's, five. it's another five out of nine. God almighty, you are being harsh today. I've got this down for six out of nine as well. Have you? Yeah, yeah, no, yeah, no I, I enjoyed this in a kind of... I know it can be better, I know it gets better, but... Well done on making such a, on establishing such a good uh, property there. I like that. Yeah, yeah, okay. <sighs> Fair enough. <laughs> so, how many steps? There's there's no steps up the mountain for this one. We're already there. Peggy Mountain this. That's right. We're there. It's... Peggy! Peggy! Get in. Yes, she's there. She's there. Very good. Producer Ken's just thrown his headphones into the corner. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Ken. Love it, love it, love it, love oh, it. Oh, dear. Yes. Should have uh, warned him about that one. I know. He'd uh, be all right. His name was Ken. Um, uh-huh. So, there we are. There we have it. For this episode, isn't it? We're back. We're back, ladies and gentlemen. We are indeed. Rent-A-Ghost and you're only young twice. That's us wrapped for this episode. If you want to follow us on social media... You can do so, can't they? Yes, thanks once again for stopping by. If you'd like to get in touch, you can email peggymountpod at gmail.com or we are at peggymountpod on Twitter. You can also find us by searching for the Peggy Mount Calamity Hour on Facebook. Don't forget to go to peggymountpod.com to check out the show notes for this episode. Yeah, it's as easy to do as that. You all know what to do. You've heard podcasts before. So that's everything for this episode. We're off. See you next time. And don't forget, keep pegging. Peggy Man Calamity Hour is a free podcast from Eichel Media which holds production copyright. Opinions and recollections expressed are not to be taken as fact. The title and credit music is by Dr. Velvet. Audio segments from television programs are presented for review and informational purposes only under fair use and no ownership of these is claimed or implied by this show. For more information, visit peggymountpod.com.